Hello and welcome. UVA Speaks is a podcast of Lifetime Learning, a division of the Office of Engagement at the University of Virginia. Lifetime Learning brings the knowledge and expertise of UVA's faculty to the university's alumni, friends, and families. My name is Susan Lynch, and I am the Associate Director of Lifetime Learning at the University of Virginia's Office of Engagement. This podcast features Mariam Zatabi, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Women, Gender, and Sexuality in the College and Graduate School of Arts and Sciences at the University of Virginia. Professor Zatabi's research focuses on the ramifications of sex work in Iran from the constitutional revolution of early 20th century to the present day through the lens of Persian literature and film. She's particularly interested in women, gender, and sexuality studies and the intersection of religion and feminism. Her current research centers around the issues of child marriage and the Me Too movement in Iran. Her work has appeared in the International Journal of Persian Literature, The Guardian, and the Journal of Middle East Women's Studies. In this podcast, Professor Zatabi will talk with us about Iran and the current protest movement and governmental crackdowns on protesters. So thank you, Professor, for speaking with me today about this very important topic. Hi, thank you for having me. Great. So first, let's start the conversation with a point of clarification that we discussed in sort of pre-recording conversations. So as I mentioned to you, I have heard and thought about the events in Iran as a protest movement. And in our emails, you refer to the events as a revolution. So can you please explain how you describe the events in Iran? And please also provide an explanation to the causes of the movement. Thank you so much for this very thoughtful question. This is a very, very important distinction to make. The people in Iran putting their lives on the line are adamant that what is happening in their country is a revolution and not just a, you know, a mere protest. There are multiple reasons for it, and I want to uh, shed light on only one of that. Uh, for the longest time, after the victory of the Islamic Revolution in 1979, uh, the regime sold us this illusion that there are reformist elements in the regime that would eventually improve a lot of the Iranian people. So basically people, obviously not everybody, put all of their hopes in the reform movement and the reformist elements and believe that, well, things will eventually get better. They cannot stay like this for, you know, because it was so dark that people thought it cannot stay like this for, you know, forever. Um, so they were thinking we might not have certain rights like now, right now, but if we elect this president or that parliamentarian, eventually they are going to fix things for us. And this went on for over two decades. People gradually, some sooner, some later, started to realize that this distinction was a sham one. This distinction does not really exist between fundamentalists and reformists. And that was a play. That was a fight that basically did not exist, but it was put on display for people to keep the status quo, to stop people from doing something on their own. And people, uh, you know, were not deceived anymore. And now that you see people out on the streets openly protesting for the past over four months, like every day, it is exactly because now they have realized that there's no hope in making this regime reform to change its behavior. So now they're not asking the regime to do anything at all. They're telling the regime, we want you gone. Because as long as you are in place, then there's nothing good, you know, nothing good can happen to us. And that's the distinction between a protest and a revolution. Because as I said, they're not reforming anything any longer. They're saying, just go, just leave us alone. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And so can you explain who are the participants in the movement? You know, I've seen some of the footage and it is very moving to see the people Absolutely. out there. So who, who are the participants in the movement? Um, 
Yeah, uh, I'd say um, different from uh, people from different walks of life, obviously, you know, are um, part of this uh, revolution. And there is some sort of, you know, division of labor, if you will, honestly. So uh, people who go to the protest, the majority of them, I'm not saying all of them, the majority of them, which has been very eye-catching for um, people in Iran and also abroad, they have been teenagers, very young uh, boys and girls, you know, 16, 17, even 15. And many of them have actually died during these protests, which is just heartrending. And um, so people, a lot of those people who have taken to the streets demonstrating have been young people, but uh, other people also like workers, for example, from petrochemical companies and also uh, truck drivers, for example, they went on strikes on and off. And uh, then we have a seasoned activist and uh, people who have been advocating for human rights in Iran for such a long time, um, who have been detained, who have been tortured. They're going on strikes. Celebrities, for example, being very active on social media inside Iran and being detained for that, for even their social media activity. And um, also, I want to say, include, you know, in these, in these um, revolutionary activities, Iranians in the diaspora. One person in particular comes to mind, Mohammad Muradi was his name. And um, recently, very recently, in the past two months, if I'm not mistaken, he drowned himself in a river in France because he wanted to bring attention to what is happening in Iran. And he wanted to say, well, the world needs to see and there's nothing else I can do other than take my own life so that this drastic action can bring some attention. And uh, also one of, now that you know, I'm naming names, I want to name another person as well. Um, one activist in particular uh, comes to mind and he has been on strike, on hunger strike in prison for such a long time. And he has lost 114 pounds and his life is in, is in danger right now as well, Dr. Mason. So um, a lot of people, a lot of people have been involved in this revolution. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I understand that the slogan of the movement is woman, life, freedom. Can you describe the historical roots of this slogan? Absolutely, yes. Uh, so this slogan, Women, Life, Freedom, was originally, you know, a Kurdish slogan uh, used by Kurdish women in their fights for freedom and women's rights in different parts of the Middle East, in Turkey, in Syria. And it was used in Iran, I'd say, for the first time uh, in the aftermath of Mahsa Amini's death in September. And you might know that Mahsa Amini herself was a Kurdish woman. And her name, her Kurdish name is Jina. And, uh, well, this slogan, so in this context, is very apropos, but um, in the context of Iran, it actually takes some new meaning that is very, very significant. Um, we had this teaching uh, in the Department of Middle Eastern and South Asian Languages and Cultures, and Dr. Farzan Milani mentioned something very interesting. She said, um, for the longest time, the West and people in the U.S. in particular have known Iran and Iranians um, as people who chant death to America, death to Israel, death to death, and, and, and you know, to whatever that you know, does not please them. And um, it was part of the ideology of the Islamic revolution, was part of the uh, ideology of the regime. And in that sense, it does make sense that that's why people, that's what people remember in the West. But now that people in Iran currently are rewriting their history, rewriting your revolutionary activity, rewriting even their slogans. It is so significant. And 
beautiful, in my opinion, that they are not chanting death anymore. They are chanting about life and saying, enough is enough. Live and let live. We do not want people in Iran to die because of opposition to the regime. But at the same time, we don't want people in Yemen, in Syria, and now even in Ukraine to die because of this terrorist regime. So I'd say in the context of Iran, it has even, you know, taken on some very, very interesting new meaning, you know, this slogan. Okay, thank you. And so why is this movement being called a, a feminist revolution? Um. Yeah, you're right. It has been called a feminist revolution, uh, but there are people who actually disagree with this uh, description. So there are people for it and there are people obviously against it. Those people who oppose this description remind us that it is not only women who are out on the streets protesting, who have, you know, taken their lives in their hands and, you know, taken, go into the streets and saying, okay, I'm going to, I, I'm, I'm even willing to sacrifice my own life for this cause, right? It is men as well. It is young boys as well. And you're right. You know, these people are right. It's correct that a lot of these people who are being detained, who are being tortured, who are being even sexually assaulted, unfortunately, are men as well as women. So uh, what we need to keep in mind is feminism, first and foremost, is uh, the a movement for social justice, you know, and social justice is absolutely impossible without taking women's rights into account. And then realizing women's rights, uh, rights is also impossible without, you know, uh, going for social justice, seeking social justice. So they are so inextricably intertwined that you cannot really separate one, one from another. So um, this is something that Iranian men in particular have been recently learning because um, what happened, you know, the, during the first revolution, the Islamic revolution, not the first revolution. Well, the Islamic revolution in 1979 was that uh, women's rights took a backseat to everything. And because uh, the pre-revolutionary, you know, activities and movements, they emphasized anti-imperialism so much that that was the ideology, anti-imperialism. And as a result of that, um, nothing else really mattered. You know, women's rights, what is going to happen to women after the revolution? It doesn't matter. We don't want to talk about that now. We'll decide that later. So when the revolution was successful after the victory of the revolution in February 1979, in March 1979, women were already out on the streets protesting. And they were saying, um, well, you... Uh, well, you did not promise us anything, but at the same time, you did not say that you are going to take our rights away from us. So that was not supposed to happen in your mess. And men were conspicuously absent from this public display of, you know, I want my rights, you know, from women. And during the past 44 years, each time women wanted something, they were demanding their rights, be it uh, saying no to mandatory veiling, or, you know, trying to get into like soccer stadiums saying, I want to watch soccer in the stadium. Why is that a problem? Or, you know, demanding um, greater custody rights or the right to divorce or the right to leave the country without the permission of their husbands, for example. Each time they wanted something, men, a lot of men, I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't want to generalize and say that everybody was like, but a lot of men were like, um, that's not our primary concern. We have so many political, social, uh, economic issues that we need to first focus on those things. And once we fix all of those things, then we'll get to you. But now, finally, they have realized that these issues are not really separate. 
This is a corrupt system that is systematically oppressing men and women alike, obviously. And as a result of that, again, I want to reiterate, if you want social justice, you have to seek women's rights. And now they have finally realized that. And that's a very, very important thing. And this revolution, in this sense, has been successful. I mean, it has not brought about political change, like um, the demise of the regime, but it has been successful in making people, men in particular, realize eventually, uh, finally after you know, all of these years, that women's rights is not a secondary concern any, any longer. We have to demand women's rights for the pursuit of social justice and freedom and liberty. Yes, thank you. A life, obviously. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And as I said before, it was it's just so incredibly moving to see the women out there uh, protesting, um, throwing their hijabs into into a fire and understanding what that means and the uh, courage and bravery that that takes. Absolutely. It's, it's incredibly moving. So there has been a brutal crackdown of the movement by the Iranian regime. And can you please give us an update on this crackdown and perhaps some examples of what that means? Absolutely, and as time passes, we get to learn about the atrocities that have been committed in the past four months against the detained protesters in particular, but also with demonstrators, you know, in general as well. You might have seen the CNN editorial special about using rape in Iranian prisons right now as a means to terrorize potential protesters and send them this message that this is going to happen to you as well if you don't, if you persist with this revolution. A few days ago, I think it was The Guardian, if I'm not mistaken, that published this article about sexual assault actually being utilized even against men in prison. And a lot of those men are now on a death row um, for trumped up charges, fabricated charges, like waging war against God. And that's the problem, you know, when you see yourself as God on earth or well representative of God on earth, then you think you can get away with anything. And um, unfortunately, it has been the case so far. And as I said, people are doing whatever they can. Um, a lot of people, even detainees in prison, they go on hunger strikes every now and then. And I told you about uh, Dr. Farhad Sami and a lot of other people as well. Uh, some other people have been detained and they have been even denied access to life, um, you know, saving medication. Um, something else that is very strange and it has been happening with frequencies. A lot of the teenagers who are released on bail commit suicide within days of being released. So I, I shudder to think what has happened to them in prison, that they prefer to take their own lives even after being released. Or there are some conjectures saying that probably they are being uh, forced at some sort of drug or some, I don't know, something that makes them react like that after being released. So we don't know what exactly is happening, but we know a lot is happening. And um, again, you know, at the heyday of um, the peak of the movement and the revolution, when people were taken to the streets every day, basically, and children, elementary school children, like um, middle school children, high school children, even wanted to be part of this revolution. They were chanting inside, you know, the school even, inside the classrooms. Um, principals and teachers would uh, call the security on them, you know, would call the officials on them and uh, report them. And they would come into the, you know, grounds of the school and they would beat children. They would detain children. They would take children away. And some children have been taken to psychiatric wards to be 
correct it. Again, I don't know how exactly you want to correct a child or why a child should be corrected because, you know, they're chanting something. And one child in particular, she, she was beaten so severely that she lost her life. Another one has been in coma for such a long time. And um, I'm ashamed to say, I don't know what happened to her because there are so many, you know, pieces of traumatizing, absolutely horrific news are coming out of Iran that you sometimes, you know, find it very difficult to keep up with everything. And um, another thing is people are being intentionally shot in the face. You know, so the security forces get very close to them and then shoot them in the face so as to blind them on purpose. A lot of people have lost their eyesight. Um, so I, I could go on, but let me stop here, I think. Wow. Um, it is important for all of us to understand that that is um, happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so, yeah. and not to forget that. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, uh, how has the Iranian diaspora responded to the events unfolding in Iran? Um, the Iranian diaspora, I mean, it doesn't matter when you left home. It is always home that you have left, right? And it is home. You have left. You have survived. But your family hasn't. Your friends haven't. Your loved ones haven't. And you know that your country is being taken hostage. And it has been for the past 44 years by people that, as I just described, are capable of doing the most inhumane things to their own country people. So they would not stop at anything to to stay in power. And knowing this and knowing that you're so far away from home and you aren't, you, there's not really much you can do to help um, the people who are on the streets, for example. That's really traumatizing. And I know the majority of the Iranian people in the diaspora have been dealing with PTSD, with anxiety and depression. Uh, so that's very that's a very important thing to acknowledge. But at the same time, we haven't been passive. Um, during the past four or five decades, you know, occasionally the Islamic Republic would do something. That was very often, obviously, you know, would do something like really atrocious and the Iranian diaspora would demonstrate, you know, we would go to D.C., to L.A., to, you know, different places to gather together and uh, demonstrate. For example, when the, when the regime brought down the Ukrainian airplane and killed 176 people, there were vigils all over the world for them, um, you know, organized by the Iranian di- diaspora. Uh, so we were reacting to everything. But this time, for the past four months, we have been so consistent in organizing. So it wasn't like a one-off and we're done. This time we have been organizing like every Saturday something is happening somewhere in the world. Every Saturday, almost every Saturday, you know, there has been a protest going on in Washington, D.C., for example. So it has been very consistent, first of all. And the number of the people that that have been, you know, uh, joining these protests have risen. Prior to uh, this revolution, it would be like, I don't know, at most like uh, hundreds of people, I'd say. But now thousands of people, tens of thousands of people are gathered together. It shows that even Iranian on, uh, in the diaspora are just fed up with this regime. And also, they want to show their solidarity with what is happening with, with the people in Iran. And they have also believed in this revolution. And they know that they have to lend their support, their full support, to the people in Iran, because if we want anything to happen, we need everybody, not just, you know, people in the country, inside the country. So um, I'll just mention, you know, some of the things that they have accomplished so far. For example, the Iranian diaspora, um, 
almost, um, I'd say over 80,000 people gathered together in Berlin, for example, to show solidarity. Um, last month, uh, tens of thousands of people um, gathered in France in front of the European Parliament uh, to send them this message that we want you to put the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards of the um, country, you know, of the regime on a terrorist list. And then you have to do something about what is happening. Just see what is happening. Because if you turn a blind eye to the plight of the Iranian people right now, you are consigning this revolution and this movement to the dustbin of history and nothing will come of it. And that's just, that's sad after so much loss of life and after so much bloodshed. So I'd say that this activity in the diaspora has been one of the most heartwarming things that has happened in the past four months. Thank you. Thank you for all You're that welcome. information. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Professor Zatabi, for sharing this information um, about the movement in Iran. Um, I, as I've said, I, I've been so moved by the courage of the people. And I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and your expertise with UVA's alumni, friends, and families. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm really glad I could be here. And thank you so much for the invitation. Thanks for having me. And I hope with raising awareness about um, what is happening in Iran, we can uh, we can accomplish something, something that um, is meaningful for the people in Iran. And they know that they're not forgotten, that people are still talking about them and people are still trying to amplify their voices, even after over four months, you know, when the revolution started. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Um, for upcoming podcasts and other lifetime learning programming, recordings, and blogs, please visit our website at engagement.virginia.edu forward slash learn. You can also find our podcasts on Spotify and with the Virginia Audio Collective, which is a network of UVA podcasts hosted by WTJU Radio and can be found at virginiaaudio.org. So thanks again, and we look forward to you taking part in future lifetime learning programs.